This morning, we have a special guest speaker, and it's my privilege to introduce him to you uh, this day. If you've been with us this weekend, you've been with us at our Biblical Counseling Conference, our third annual conference this year, and it's been a great blessing to be challenged just uh, simply on the theme of growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, that's been uh, the theme and just uh, our growth in, in, in God's, in, in Christ. And hopefully, you've been blessed, you've been equipped, and, and to not only for yourself to grow in Christ, but to help others to grow in that same grace and knowledge of Christ. Well, but for those of you who are just here this Sunday morning, I'd like to introduce our speaker to you. And his name is Pastor Bill Shannon. He's here with his wife, Donna, and we've been blessed to have them. He is a pastor at Grace Community Church. Yes, uh, that Grace Community Church, for those of you who may not know that church. Uh, when you think of Grace Community Church, uh, we've really been, a, as a church, we have been blessed by the, the ministry of that local church down there over the years, uh, throughout the years. And when you think of that church, you, you tend to think of two, probably one person, Pastor John MacArthur, whose radio ministry, teaching ministry, just spans the globe. Uh, sometimes if you visit worship the church, you will see another steadfast individual there, and that's uh, their worship leader, a worship pastor, Clay Nerb. Um, but, you know, over the years, they've had many pastors, many over the years, but there's been another steadfast pastor that just uh, served by the grace of God, and it really because of his ministry there, we have been blessed. You may not realize that you think we think of John MacArthur, we think later, but Pastor Bill Shannon's been pastoring on the staff there for 30 years. 30 years, that's uh, quite a while. But I knew him as, uh, when I first went to seminary, he was the children's pastor. And uh, he, uh, overseeing that children's ministry, uh, instrumental in providing for us the curriculum that we use today, a Generations of Grace. And so that's many of us, uh, those of you who are lower division teachers, we've uh, been blessed through his ministry. Currently, he's uh, overseeing the counseling ministry, the women's ministry. Uh, he's instructor at the, Bob, I think, the Lagos Institute. But he's also the pastor of uh, one of their Sunday school classes. And when you think of Sunday school classes, oh, you think 30, 40 people. Uh, it's a 400-member Sunday school class. <laughs> and so that's, like, larger than this church. Uh, but uh, Anchor Fellowship, so if you ever go there, you... You go to the services, you attend services, be sure to go to Sunday school class and go to Anchored Fellowship and visit Pastor Bill and uh, worship with the saints there. But we're, uh, he, uh, <clears throat> actually, he probably, we're calling you Pastor Bill, but he, we could, should call you doctorate, actually, but doctor, but he's, uh, in my time, I just, uh, in this weekend, I've gotten to know him. I just found him to be just a, a humble, gracious, most sincere man. Uh, loves the Lord. Uh, he and his wife, just a joy to be with. It's been a blessing to get to know them and uh, their, their desire is just to serve our, us, our body. And hopefully they've, you've been served by them. If you haven't had a chance, please do greet them and let them know you've appreciated their ministry uh, with us this weekend. Uh, we definitely want to, uh, just even thinking about it now, I do want to extend, uh, hopefully, um, you can pass it back to Grace Community Church, Anchored Fellowship, as well as uh, Grace Community Church. Thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to allow you to come up here this weekend because we know that there's 400 people without your, their pastor this day because uh, Pastor Bill's here with us. So he's going to come and preach to us from Second Peter. Hopefully, uh, you, I, I know you'll be blessed by the word of God this morning. Let's welcome Pastor Bill to the pulpit. Well, before I get started, I first of all want to thank uh, uh, the pastors of this church, for, for Henry, for Roger, for Raymond, uh, and the welcome that I've received from the elders and folks that are here in this church. Uh, you know, you can tell a good church by how the people respond to you because they have been given the word of God. They have grown in the word of God. And, and uh, Henry, I can tell you, Pastor Henry, that um, uh, you have done a wonderful job here in uh, teaching these people uh, because they have such a grace about them. They have such a warmth about them that um, that only comes from, obviously, the Lord's Spirit and it comes from good teaching. 
You, you don't get that out of the air, folks. Uh, so I want you to know that that is something that comes uh, that way. Uh, it has been great to be up here. I hadn't been in San Francisco in a long time, and uh, so I got to see a little bit of your city. I almost said wonderful city, but no, it's a wonderful city. Just kidding, just kidding. Uh, now, for those who have been at the con uh, conference know that I'm from New York City, so it's a little bit different there. Um, and yes, I, I know I was in the, the children's ministry, but I think I started in the children's ministry when I was two. And uh, anyway, we've been uh, at Grace Church for 30 years. Cannot believe it. Actually, we've been at Grace Church for 37 years uh, because uh, it was the first few years that uh, uh, we were just attending and uh, getting to know uh, uh, how to love the Lord and how to serve as people. And, and so uh, then they invited me on the staff. Anyway, today we're looking at 2 Peter. Why don't you turn there? While you're turning there, I just want to tell you, it's always hard for a pastor to come into any church and just sort of be dropped in. You know, it's like being uh, parachuted in to try to teach when uh, you're in the middle of a book. Now, I'm coming sort of in the middle of a book, you know, and anything that's not teaching from the beginning. And I like to give a little bit of background. I like to have a little bit of an understanding uh, so that you know where we're going, where we've come from, that kind of thing. Uh, to just uh, uh, have a message, a one-off message as I call them, it's very hard. Um, back there in Anchored, uh, I'm teaching through the book of Zechariah right now, and we're in uh, chapter, going into chapter 5. And I have been blessed by following it one um, verse after another. Uh, I, I was taught that in seminary. Uh, I uh, was able to see that by my own pastor and how he goes through uh, a book of the Bible one verse at a time. Zechariah is going a little bit faster than one verse at a time. But uh, here we want to look at 2 Peter. But before we get there, I do want to give some background. I want you to understand where we're coming from. And that means we need to go back to 1 Peter. So why don't you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, I do believe that Peter's writing to the same two places, although in 2 Peter he doesn't recognize the same people. And he says there in the first verse, he says, to the residents, to those who reside as aliens. Uh, folks, you're an alien of San Francisco. I am an alien of Los Angeles. I am an alien of uh, New York City. This is not our home. Aren't you grateful? I mean, really, I, I was driven around here and I saw two and three million dollar homes. And, and then there are people that are homeless. I wouldn't want to be either of those. I want to be in heaven. I want to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul is, I mean, Peter is here recognizing the aliens. They're citizens of heaven. They we're not citizens of this earth. Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who are chosen. The elect of God are chosen by him. And uh, not that we're going to look at the rest of 1 Peter, but I just wanted to get you an idea that over there in that area, Asia, the North Mediterranean area, Peter is writing to them. But he's writing to both Jew and Gentile. And if we went through the whole book, we can see that he's writing to both Jew and Gentile. He's not picking out any one specific group of people. He's writing to both. Because once we come to Christ, we're all one in Christ. There is no more divisions between us. So I want you to have that as a background. Now you can go to 2 Peter. Now Peter starts it off here a little bit different. He says, Simon Peter, 
And he says this, a bondservant. He actually means a slave. It's not a bondservant. He's a slave. But the slave is of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? And folks, if you're a believer, you too are a slave of Jesus Christ. You're no longer your own. You sold yourself to him. You've given up who you are for him. So it says here, bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received, in other words, we've received the same thing because it goes on here, a faith of the same kind as ours. We've received the same kind of faith that Peter did. Now, folks, that's 2,000 years ago. The same kind of faith that hasn't changed over these 2,000 years. It should not be changed, and if it is changed, then they would be a false religion. And how do we get saved? How do we become spiritually yielded to Jesus Christ? How do we receive this by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ? It's only by the living and abiding with Jesus Christ. It's only by being his slave that you are truly saved. It's not by something else. Uh, I once had this couple come in, and uh, the husband said that he was a Christian. I mean, I'm sorry, the wife said she was a Christian. The husband said, I'm a Christian too, but I don't believe that Jesus is God. And I said, I don't know about your testimony to the woman, but I said to him, I said, you're not a Christian. He wanted to argue with me. I said, no, you have to believe that Jesus Christ is God in order to be a Christian. Uh, I kept counseling with them. After six weeks, he says, I I believe like you do. And I said, so what do I believe? And he told me that he believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and that he was God. So we've been given a gift, this righteousness from Jesus Christ, our Savior. And he goes on in verse 2, and he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. He wants them to grow. They need grace because they're going to be persecuted. That's what's going on here. And they need grace Because being persecuted and standing for the faith is not easy. Could you imagine if uh, the police came into the auditorium, came into this room right now, and started saying, who's a Christian here? We're going to take those those people away that are Christians. How many of you are going to get in the front of the line? How many of you are going to try to duck because... You know what? you got kids in the nursery and you don't want to give them up. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons that you would do that. And I understand those things. But that's what they are going through. I remember a pastor coming from Turkey once. And he came and he, and he said to me in, 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 at our shepherd's conference, he says, there's a man in our church who's committing adultery. And he says, if we do church discipline on him, he's going to go to the Muslim authorities. What do I do? What do I do? I says, you either stand for Jesus Christ or you don't. I says, what you do is to tell your church what you're about to do so they can take care of themselves, whatever they need to do. Maybe they need to meet somewhere else, but he still has to be dealt with. You don't let him continue to do those things. That's what Peter is writing here. He says, give them grace. May it be multiplied to them. And what is it multiplied in? the knowledge of God and of Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know him by living with him, by depending upon him. That's what he's talking about here. And folks, that was the introduction. 
now we're going to look at the two verses that we're going to um, examine today. And these two verses, it, it seems like it's, it's small, but they're, they're potent. They're potent. There's a lot of power here. We're going to see two certainties. Two certainties about the salvation, the gift that we've been given. The gift that we are to enjoy in our salvation. And he gives us two certainties here. He's talking about the divine nature that's been gifted to us. Not divine essence, but divine nature, and we'll get to that. And the first gift, or the first certainty that we have, is God's divine power. Everyone here who names the name of Jesus Christ has been given divine power. And you're saying, but, but Bill, I haven't done any miracles lately. It's not talking about miracles. It's the divine power to live for Christ and no longer for yourself. It's the divine power to be a witness of Jesus Christ. That's what you have in this earth. And so you get the divine power in chapter in verse 3. And then the second verse, uh, I should say the fourth verse there, God's divine promises. We get these two gifts, these two certainties here that we have. So let's read those together. And it says there in verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us Everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. <laughs> wow. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. What a promise. What an incredible promise that he's given to us. Seeing that his divine power, all that we have, all that we are, is in Christ. It was nice of Pastor Henry to say nice things about me, even to say nice things about John MacArthur and, and Clayton Herb. Those 50 years that he's been there and the 40 years that Clayton's been there and the 30 years that I've been there are not by our power. It's by the power of God. You know, we've recognized Pastor John's faithfulness for the last 50 years, and that's pretty incredible, i got to tell you. 50 years in the same place? 50 years preaching the same people? You would think some of them would get bored by and go to sleep. Shh, some of them don't. I understand that. If you hear me start to bang, I can see some of you going to sleep. But he's been faithful, and God has had him there. He's had them there for a reason, folks. We're still seeing what that reason is. Uh, this week we had our missionaries in, 100 missionaries from all over the world, going to bring the same message to those people from Africa to Asia to Europe, all over the world, because of the gifts that God has given to us, the power he's given to us, the promise he's given to us, seeing that his divine power Peter is mentioning here the person of the Trinity. The person that he's referring to in the Trinity here is Jesus Christ. This can be said that Jesus is, and we know that because Jesus is the nearest antecedent. We can see that. We go back to verse 2. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Christ Jesus our Lord. And I believe that he's saying that Jesus Christ is God here, seeing his divine power. Whose power is it? It's his power. It's not our power. 
Ephesians 3.20 says it this way. You don't need to turn there, but you can jot it down if you're taking notes. It says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more, abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. You see, whatever power we have in us, in the gospel, is from Jesus Christ. It's for what he did. When he went to Golgotha, when he went to Calvary, he did that for us. We see in Ephesians 6.10 throughout that book, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength or the power of his might. Folks, the only way you're going to be able to overcome the temptations of sin, the only way you're going to be able to overcome this world is by the power of, the, of Jesus Christ himself. Our power is from God. Our power is for God. And God is going to use it as he wishes. I love to hear about missionary stories and what they do. I love to hear uh, what John Patton did when he went to the New Hebrides Islands and, and how he would work among the cannibals. And when his wife died, he sat on her grave for weeks because he was afraid the aborigines would dig up his wife and eat her. He said of a story, he said one time they were circling around his hut and he was wondering, when are they going to invade here to tear us out and to eat us? And once some of those aborigines got saved, he asked them, why didn't you come in and take us? He said, because there was a whole army of these people with swords standing around you. It's a miracle, folks. And he didn't even know it. But God had put this army around his family to save them. You don't even know what God is doing in your life sometimes. Friends, salvation is a wonderful place to be. But with it, folks, come expectations. It's not just, I believe, I walk the aisle, I write my name in the Bible. Okay, I'm a Christian now. No, you have responsibility now. You do something with that gift of salvation that you've been given. When a believer comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation, they are gifted in multiple ways, but they have to be doing something about it. They have been given a gift. It's the gift of faith. They're given gifts, and it's for the work of service. They're supposed to be doing something with that gift. They are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit takes up resonance in them. Zechariah 4, 6 says it this way, not by might, not by power, but by thy spirit. It's that Holy Spirit that has been given to us that gives us the power and the abilities. And we need to be using those powers and abilities. That gives us more power. That gives us more understanding of what God has done. And that power is given to us so that we can overcome temptation. Now, if I was to ask you to raise your hands for who's been tempted this week, I would hope that every single hand went up because we know even Jesus was tempted in all things like we are yet without sin. Now, how many succumbed to that temptation? How many gave into it this week? I don't want to ask you to put your hands up. But I would say some of us did. And some of us battled that sin over and over and over again. But I want to tell you, as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's given you the power to overcome it. He's given you the power to battle it. He's given you the power to be able to put it down and, and not pick it up again. 
He's given you more power than you really, really, truly understand. He's given you the word of God, the truth. And he's given you the spirit, the power. The gifts truly are endless. The power is unrelenting. The question is, do we believe? That's the question. Do we believe? When that temptation comes, can I say, no, that's not me? I uh, once used this illustration. We at Grace Church love our fellowship groups. They're Sunday school classes. Do you know what they put out the first thing in the morning? Donuts. Lots and lots of donuts. Well, I like coming back from the elders' prayer time to walk past the donut table and say, you don't have any power over me, I do. You don't have any power over me, I do. You see, that's the same thing with temptation. You don't have any power over me, I do. But you see, you have to recognize that God is in control. If you let yourself go, you're going to give in to that temptation. Oh, I fought it so long. I, I've been at least 10 minutes fighting this temptation. Well, how about this? Jesus Christ was tempted for 30, 31 years, 32 years, 33 years, whatever it was. And all things like we are, yet he did not succumb to the temptation. Folks, he didn't do it in his divinity. He did it in his humanity. He gave us the example. He could do it. And it's not because he was stronger than us or anything else. He did it to show us that we could do it. He had to replace the first Adam who couldn't and become the second Adam. So that you could learn that you don't have to succumb to that temptation. He has divine power granted to us. And when it says us, it means all of you who are believers. Everyone who names the name of Christ. Let me say it this way. Not everyone who names the name of Christ, but everyone who lives the name of Christ. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 7? I think Matthew makes it very clear here. Here we are at the end of the, uh, um, at the, end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is the one who preached this message. And, and he was sitting down and he's speaking to these folks and he goes through the whole list of things. By the way, I love to give Matthew 5, 6, and 7 to my counselees to read and tell me, where do you fit in? <laughs> Which one are you? Where are you? But then you get to verse 21 of Matthew 7. It says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, went unto the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is heaven. Notice that. He does the will of my Father. Folks, that's speaking of obedience. Speaking of obedience, when you're doing the will of the Father, you are living an obedient life, a Christ-filled life. That's the one who's going to enter into heaven. It's not because you come to church. It's not because you try to look like a Christian and on Sunday you, you clean off your Bible and you bring it in and, and everybody thinks, oh, they got a clean Bible. Nowadays, it's clean devices, but I mean, you know how, what I mean here is that it's not just that. It's not just that you write your attendance here. No. He who does the will of my Father, that is the believer. But he goes on, he says here in, in this uh, verse 22, he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and... 
in your name cast out demons. See, they have confidence in their works. Prophesy is speaking forth the truth, right? It's like preachers. There will be preachers who, when they get to the gates of heaven, and God says, why should I let you in here? And they're going to say, well, I preached for you. And he's going to say this, I never knew you. Wow. That's scary. That's scary. When I first read a book about this particular passage, I trembled thinking that. How many people are fooling themselves? Fooling themselves that they think they're in the kingdom because they're doing a few little things here. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes in, you're not just shuffling around the furniture in your mind. You're getting rid of it and getting new. But that's what he says here. They cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Why? Because they practice lawlessness. Folks, if you've got this besetting sin, this thing that's been holding on to your heart and your mind, you have got to kill it. And as a biblical counselor, I always say, that's what we're here for. That's what the body of Christ is here for, is to help you so that you don't continue in that besetting sin, that you don't continue to, to do those things over and over and over again. I just did a Q&A and somebody said, so what do you do about somebody who's not stopping the sin? I tell them, you know, you keep coming in and asking for forgiveness and telling me what you did. I am not a Catholic priest. I am not a Protestant priest. You need to repent. You need to repent. And, and you know, folks, and I, I said this during the conference, I, I said, Jesus says in Matthew 18, cut off your hand and, and cut off your foot and pluck out your eye if it causes you to sin. And, and I said then, I don't think he wants a bunch of pirates running around the church. He wants you to see how serious sin is. Because you see, God had to send his son to the cross to die for that sin. And we can do something about it because he's given us the power. He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. As a matter of fact, that is all I need to be able to live out the Christian life. I don't need anything else. Friends, this power here never goes out. I lived in New York City when the uh, lights went off on the whole East Coast. I don't know if you remember that. Well, only those with gray hair would remember that. Or no hair. I don't know which. <laughs> that never happens. When you have the power of the Holy Spirit, it's there forever. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 9.8. I, I, I just want to encourage you folks. You have this power. The idea is to start to use it. The idea is to start to believe it. The idea is to start to see it in your life. And it says there in 2 Corinthians 9.8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed. What's the best deed you could possibly do is live an obedient life. Five times Paul uses a superlative there. Five times all, every, over and over and over again. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. That encourages me that that grace is available. That's the same wording that Paul, Peter said. He says, grace and peace be multiplied. That grace is there for you. You have it. It's part of your becoming a believer. As a follower of Jesus Christ, there are no more needs, desires, wants that I have. 
I have everything I need. Jesus declared in John 10.10, he said, I came that they may have life abundantly. I don't know about you, but I love this Christian life. I was 31 years in darkness, and, and I like being in the light that I know the end of all things. I know where this story ends. I know the victory that Jesus Christ is going to celebrate with us. Beloved, in essence, this is the fountain of eternal life. That's what we have. You know how they, they keep looking for the fountain of youth, you know, that they can live longer and longer? That's mythical. The power that is granted here to believers is better. And this is why. If I just live with the fountain of youth, then I'm still separated from God. But for us who know Jesus Christ have eternal life with God. We will never be separated from him. Because he covers our sin. Dear friends, if you want to grow as a Christian, you have all the equipment you need. You don't need something new. You no longer need to live in, in the slop of your sin. You no longer need to make excuses for your sin. He's granted to you the power for you to overcome that sin. He's given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. Folks, far too long, we live in the doldrums of our sin and we keep pushing it off and pushing it off. And, and I say this in Southern California, that's manana th theology. Tomorrow I'll take care of it. Tomorrow I'll take care of it. But he's given us that power. Granted to us everything. Believers have eternal life already. We own it. I, I'm going to live for the rest of existence. Not on this earth, and I'm so grateful that it's not on this earth. But I'm going to have eternal life. i got to tell you, that warms my heart. I hope it does yours. One day in eternity, I'm going to see my Savior face to face. Gives me chills just thinking about it. This eternal life that has been granted to us begins at the new birth. I may not in the beginning have understood it, and I really didn't. I remember walking to Grace Church my first time, first time I'd ever been in a Protestant church. And I said to my wife, you know, if he says anything wrong, I'm walking out. My wife being the kind of wife she is, she looked at me and she said, how would you know? <laughs> I mean, she knew I was dumb as a rock. She knew that. This is where God desires to take precedence in our life. He wants to have control of our life. Since he's the owner of us as slaves, he wants to have control of us. He wants to be the king of kings and the lord of lords. I want to go back, and I think I have time. I rushed a little bit in the first service, so they told me I have extra time because I think you can be here until 2 or 3. <laughs> Luke chapter 9, would you turn there with me? I love this passage and Luke chapter 9. Luke is not playing around here. He's really putting it to the crowd. And he's saying this to us as well. And he says in verse 23. He's using the words of Jesus, by the way. He's just repeating them. And he says this. If anyone wishes to come after me, that's Jesus. 
He must deny himself. You know, the moment I got saved, I said to myself, I don't have to do what I have been doing. I don't have to do it anymore. I I was even thankful that I didn't have to do it anymore. But that's exactly what happens. He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, when we think of Jesus picking up his cross, what happened at the end of that? He went to the cross. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. So if you're in the midst of sin, you're in the midst of debauchery even, give it up. Because otherwise, you don't show yourself or others around you that you really truly are Christ's. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world, if we get everything and loses or forfeits himself? Folks, before Christ, my functional God was money. And I ran after it hard because I wanted it. No. You give that up for Jesus Christ. That's not important. Verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me, that is Christ, and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. It's a scary thing. My kids would sometimes ask me, Dad, am I saved? I I, I don't know. Keep being faithful. Keep doing what you know is right. Don't ever give in to your flesh. That's what you need to do. Keep living an obedient life. That's what Jesus calls us to. That's what God calls us to. Friends, once you are saved... That's where this godliness transformation begins to happen. It may not happen very quickly. I say sometimes folks take a long time before the sanctification begins to show up. But there should be sanctification. There should be a growing in this person. I have a doctor who sits on the front row in my Sunday school class. And I say, Doc, if there's no growth and they're just flatlining, I said, what is it? He says, they're dead. So for all of us, if there's not growth, then I got to start to think, am I really truly Christ's? Am I his? He's given me and granted me everything pertaining to life and godliness. And and boy, there's not a whole lot of godliness here. As a matter of fact, when the temptation of sin comes, I give in and I give in and I give in. And and folks, I I think automatically, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation. That means none. Uh, In Russian, niet, nada, none. No temptation has overtaken you. Such is common to man. We're all tempted, same kinds of ways. But God is faithful. God is faithful, and he will make a way through it. And so I always say to folks, how are you finding that escape hatch? When it's time, when that temptation comes, what do you do to get run away from it? Are you going to be like Joseph when Potiphar's wife is saying, come, come lay with me, and he runs out the door and doesn't look how far he's gone from her. He doesn't see, am I gone far enough? No, he keeps running. Yeah, I know he ran to jail, but it, it was a purpose for that. But you keep running. You run from sin. You hate that sin because you know what it did. It put your Lord on the cross. 
Where do we see this transformation? And this is where we see this transformation in that verse 3 of 2 Peter. It says, through the true knowledge of him. The true knowledge of Jesus. We are to grow in a true, an accurate, a correct, an authentic, a valid, dedicated understanding of who Jesus is. I can't write, read enough about Jesus. I, I have read at least two books this year about Jesus, by, besides the other books that I've read. Uh, Mark Jones wrote a, wrote a book. There's others. I've got one in my, my book here, None Greater. Okay, I'm reading that because I want to know about my Lord. If I'm going to spend eternity with him and worship him, I better know how to do that. Come to the cross daily. Come to the cross moment by moment. Be awed by his power and his grace. I think of my Lord sitting on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they didn't even know what he was forgiving them for. And he's forgiving them. That's what he does with you. And he's not going to continue to do it if you keep going in the wrong way. The one who calls you enables you. John chapter 17. You don't need to turn there, but just remember John 17. It's the prayer that Jesus is speaking to his heavenly father. Even as you, that is father, gave him authority over all flesh. That is to all whom you have given him. He may give eternal life. I am so grateful for that. My, my life was headed towards hell. Um, when I was in Japan, a dear friend of mine, he's a pastor in uh, uh, Osaka, and he was taking us down to Hiroshima, put us on the bullet train, and I mean, this thing is going, ding, ding, ding. I mean, it's going so fast, I couldn't believe it. I said, this is the kind of train I was on before Christ got me, but my train was headed towards a dead end. Hell. And for anybody who doesn't know Christ, that's what they're on. That's what they're on. You see, he gave us eternal life. He gave us eternal power, even. What are you created for? You think about it. You look at this world. Somebody gave me their testimony before, and he started asking himself questions. What am I here for? What am I supposed to do? What am I created for? I can tell anybody who has that question. You were created to know and to serve God. You were created to give him glory. But we can only do that through his divine power. We can only do that once we call ourselves slaves of Jesus Christ. You want power to overcome sin? Hosea said it this way in Hosea 6.6. 6, For I delight in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Get to know him intimately. Spend time with him intimately. Folks, the power that we receive upon salvation fills us with the resources needed to live a God-filled life. We have incredible power granted to us by this living God that has saved us. I kind of liken this to, to new parents and grandparents. And if I, I may just digress here since I am now a grandparent. This child has come into the world. You know what happens in the first years. You see this child and you think, oh, this is going to be uh, the next uh, genius. 
this is going to be the next gifted person in the world. You know, I see some of the little ones now, and they look all this way. <laughs> then what happens? They become a teenager. This smartest, cleverest child now becomes a teenager, and all of those hopes for that child sort of wane, don't they? And I don't mean to step on your toes. I see a group of teenagers over here. I don't mean to step on your toes, but, you know, all of those hopes that the grandparents and the parents had for these teenagers, these kids, it, it wanes there. Why? Because you see that they're not reaching for their potential. They're not living for Christ, especially for Christians. But you see, as a baby Christian, you don't ever have disappointment. You always have growth. You always have a moving forward in the kingdom of God. You always have getting closer to him because you're growing, because you study his word. You're growing because you have preaching. You're growing because you want to. Do you know the thing that disturbs me the most? Been a pastor for 30 years and, and, and I do some traveling and, and I see some people who are not in good churches. And they're in churches where they're not getting the gospel preached every week. And they're still living down there at the pablum level. And, and they haven't gotten beyond the pablum. And they're not growing, and that disturbs me. Well, you can see that in Hebrews, it talks about that. And you want them to grow. But they're only going to grow if they take, make the effort to study God's Word. They're only going to grow if they make the effort to find a good church to be taught in. God, He's, he's given us everything. God has, has granted us all these promises. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through the knowledge of him is what's necessary. Folks, get to know him. He's your Lord and Savior. Let me ask you a question. If, if you are a Christian, what about him? What attracted you to him? The answer for Peter here is his glory and his excellence. We see that at the end of verse 3. It's because of his glory and his excellence. That's what attracted him. Jesus Christ is unique. We are common. Jesus is the one who came to solve our greatest problem, separation from God. He overcomes our fascination with the garbage of this world. He's the one who causes growth in godliness. Jesus became what we are, that is human, so that we could become what he is, divine. He has a stake in this, folks. He wants us to grow. He wants us to understand that there is potential here for growth. I don't care where you are in your Christian life, and we're all at different levels. Some are children, some are mature, and some are very mature. But you should be growing. Because the question is, if you're not growing, maybe you're not going. Through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the debt of sin has been paid. And the believer is given this gift, this gift of faith. Been given resurrection power. By the moral excellence leaves, by the glory of Christ, we are called. We're saved by Jesus Christ alone. That's what's called monergism. He does it on his own. But in our 
sanctification, and that's what the conference was about this week. And I didn't use this word there. It's synergism. It's God and man. It says it in Philippians 2.12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is in you to work and to will his good pleasure. You see, you have a part in it. You are to be participating in it. You are to be doing something about it. You know, sometimes I start counseling people and I say, so uh, what are you doing for your study? Well, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I have a whole reading plan that I start to give them here. Start reading the Bible. Start in Genesis. If they're not Christians, start in the book of John. There's so much of the church today is looking for signs and wonders. They're looking for some power, power in the tongue, power in miracles, power in knowledge, a word of knowledge. I had some folks come from one of these churches. They came to Grace and they started talking to me. And, and I said, so why did you come here? Well, we got a word of knowledge. How did that happen? Most of the time, a word of knowledge is not going to tell you to come to Grace Church. You said, oh, oh, I, I, this is the way I mean it. We told our friends we wanted to move. And one said we needed to move to Burbank. One said we needed to move to Santa Clarita. One said we needed to move to Simi Valley. We knew that they were confused and that not all of them could have the word of knowledge. So we thought we'd come over to Grace and check it out. And they came. Folks, you've already been given this power, this divine power. That's the first certainty. Now, let's look at the second certainty in salvation, in God's divine promises. The second certainty that we have... In salvation is God's divine promises. We see it in verse 4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, before I even go to this, I, I want to just bring to you something. A, a gem that I got out of a book uh, and, and the title of the book is The Legacy of Luther. You know, when we had Luther's uh, 500th, I started reading this, uh, the, the Reformation, and I started reading this. Luther proposed that Scripture was divided into two parts, law and gospel. The actual commandments to do, but they don't give us the power to do it, much like what is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But the gospel brings the impossible to possible. That through his power, through his divine work, he solved those issues and he now gives us the promises of, and the ability to be able to do those. Think about that. The impossibility of living the perfect life is solved by the promises of God. They're found in the scriptures. Folks, I, I know I can declare to you from now until kingdom come that you can be sinless. I know the battle that's there. My wife's not here, but she would even tell you I'm not sinless. I know I'm not. But that's the direction we need to be going in. That's what we need to be battling for. God has arranged. God has granted, as it says here. God has approved the promises we receive as believers. Friends, since the verb here describes a continuing action, in other words, it doesn't stop. Those promises of his spirit never stop. I use this illustration in the 
conference that we had here. God is over there pouring his grace on us. We have this cup and we're receiving that grace. But on occasion what happens when we're in sin, we take our cup and we go like this. But his promises are still real. We're the ones who shut it off until we confess our sin, repent of our sin, and then the promises are again received by us. Be that person with the cup ready to receive. This granting of God is permanent. The promises will never be reneged. How do we know that? 2 Timothy 2.13 says this, If we are faithless, listen to that. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. We have an extraordinary God, my friends. You know, you should be glad that there isn't anyone else, God. Because God looks down and he still has his love for us over and over and over and over again. If it was another God, he would just shut you out. He would tell you to go take a walk. A little while ago, I was looking for a book in my library. It's uh, called the All the Promises of God in the Bible. Herbert uh, Lockyer wrote the book. It was gone. I kept looking for it. I have a whole section by Lockyer in that. I'm looking through it, and I'm going, hey, where is that book on the, All the Promises of God? Oh, I remember. I lent it to somebody, and they promised to bring it back. God's promises are not like that. God's promises are assured. By the way, I, I, I've said this before in my Sunday school class, and I still didn't get the book back. <laughs> so you can see what promises mean from another person. But God's promises are not like that. These promises that have been given to us have been given with the idea that by them, this is what it says here, by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. I had to think through that a little bit. I am not divine. The promises, the gospel promises are magnificent and precious, but I have God's divine nature, not his essence. But because of all that he gives me, I have been removed from the lusts of this world. I don't have any reason to go back to those things. I like to tell folks that they need to become a billboard. And I'm going to say that here in San Francisco because we need some billboards in San Francisco. I know you have a lot of them up there you know, saying they can deliver this cannabis to your house, but that's not what we're looking for, okay? Well, we need to be billboards that we're like, uh, different than others and we tell everybody we're Christian. I'm different than you. You know, I can still love the homosexual. I can still call them to repentance. I can still love the person who does shoplifting, but call them to repentance. There's no difference between the two of them. Because that's what has to happen, because that's what God's word says. As, as Paul says, and such were some of you. <laughs> I was, and the such were some of you. But he calls us out of that. Please take note here. Peter chooses his words very well. Become partakers of the divine nature. You do not become a little God. You do not become a new God. You become a partaker in God's being. 
The word nature there means growth. The word nature there means increase. The word nature there means advancement and character. It does not mean God that you are God. This divine nature is escaping the corruption that is in the world by lust. I don't know about you, but I want to escape it even more. I don't know about you, but whether it's San Francisco or it's Los Angeles or I heard San Diego was here. It doesn't matter where you are. I heard even Nebraska, okay? It doesn't matter where you are. It is, okay, dark out there. It's completely and thoroughly dark out there. I love this, that Peter used the word here for corruption. It means decaying, decomposing. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to see something decomposing. Gets a picture of something rotting, stinking. This human nature that we have, this, this body that's corrupted, the outer man is decaying. Every time I look in the mirror, I can see more decay. But my inner man is being renewed day by day. And that inner man is going to live for eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, those alienated from God are in the world rotting. They love their darkness. They can create even more darkness. And they like to stay in their darkness. They love murdering babies and they love keeping it that way. They want to make it even longer in, in the gestation period of a woman and all of those kinds of but they want to save the whale. The promise that is highlighted here is the promise becoming partakers of the divine nature. I like that idea. The positive you become partakers of the divine nature. But there is another side to it, and Peter says it this way, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. I got to tell you, I feel cleaner day after day after day, removing myself from that. But you know what, folks? As a counselor, I get people coming in, and, and they're still wallowing around in the slop. I try to encourage them, you got to come out of the slop. You've got to stop doing those kinds of things. I, I can't, it, it, to me, it's almost mind-boggling some of the things that they get involved in. These are people in the church and around the church. We need to run from it as far as we can, this corruption that's out there. In a sense, okay, folks, I want to make sure you have this in your mind. In a sense, we inherit God's holiness. That's the promise. That's the promise that we have. It's the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. When God looks at me, he doesn't see me anymore. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he sees the righteousness of Christ covering me. I say hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what he sees. We are made righteous now by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the result of this, and folks, I hope you don't mind if I go a little longer. I think it's 1230, but if you don't mind, okay, I want to go a little longer because you see the result of all of this of what he's given to us in his promises and, and in his um, power starts in verse 5. Look at verse 5. For this very reason, applying all diligence. Now, again, see, that's your part in it, folks. Folks. 
you have to apply the diligence. In your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. That's our duty. That's our responsibility as Christians. That's us putting off the old man, putting on the new man. That's us living for Christ and not for ourselves anymore. But he doesn't stop there. Peter knows. He needs to go on. And he says in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and increasing. Remember that sanctification Look, I gave you there. For if these qualities, he mentioned specific qualities, are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful to the true knowledge of our Lord and Savior. In other words, folks, cultivate the mind of Christ. In other words, cultivate Christ. They, those qualities, will not make you useless. But he goes on in verse 9, he says, For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted. Blind and short-sighted. Having forgotten his purification. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent, it's up to you, to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Did he call you? Did he choose you? You are to practice these things and then you will never stumble. Folks, that's what the church is called to do. We are to look different than the world. We are to look different than maybe our relatives who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's given you everything that you need to be able to do that. May I implore you, ask you, exhort you, begin to do that. One last thing. I want to give you an illustration I think I gave during the conference. I had a very dear friend. He was a police officer, undercover narcotics officer. I asked him how he came to Christ. You know, he's one of these grungy guys, and, I'm, and that's the way he's supposed to look, you know. He's got tats on. He's got hair growing every, you know, everywhere, okay? And I said, so how did you come to Christ? And he said, I, I watched this family across the street from me. I watched this husband who loved his wife and this wife who loved her husband. I saw these children who loved their parents and the parents who respected their children and took care of them. And, and there was this loving bond that they had and it was day in and day out. And he said, I got sick of it. It's just the way he put it to me. And so when I went across the street, knocked on the door, what do you have? What do you have? And the man invited him in and he says, this is what I have. Come on in. Folks, we should be doing that in San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, Nebraska, wherever you are. People should be knocking on our door saying, what do you have? You're different. You're happy when the stock market goes down and when it goes up. You're happy when everything happens. You're happy all the time because Jesus Christ is working in you to will and to work his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father God is... Uh, your word has continued to be a light to our path. It has given us direction, Lord God. Thank you for it. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. It's not unclear. It's very clear. 
Lord, we pray for the people around us, our friends, our neighbors, our, our dearest of relatives, that, Lord, you would convert them, change them, make them into the people of God that you want them to be, that many would be saved, that you'd use this conference, this church, this time, Lord God, to see those who are sitting on the fence, those who are not yours, to come to true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor Bill, for bringing his word to us this morning. Uh, well, hopefully you've been blessed. I, I, man, I, I'm glad I got to sit through the service a second time. I was doubly blessed hearing that word again. Uh, so hopefully you've been encouraged by the preaching of the word this weekend. Uh, and if you haven't got a chance, uh, do greet Pastor Bill. Uh, and just thank him before he takes off. He's going to leave this afternoon to take a uh, flight back to L.A. Uh, continue to just uh, feel, feel free to fellowship after service. And uh, God bless you. You're dismissed.